Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. We're in Galatians 2. You can turn there in your Bible. Galatians 2, verse 11 through 21. We'll finish the chapter today. In this passage, Paul is recounting an event from his past in a letter that he's sending to the churches of Galatia. So it helps to highlight a point that he's trying to make about the importance of walking in step with the truth of the gospel. I don't have, I can do the board. I don't know. I don't have a marker though. I heard that Brown did not work last week, so I needed a black marker. You'll just have to take notes and draw your own board this week. We'll get it figured out. So, the importance of walking in step with the truth of the gospel. And the story takes place during a dinner dinner party. During a dinner party. So, um, you're really going to hate this. Just going to say that right up front because this brings it straight home today, right to your dinner table. And that's where we're going to wind up. So, we better pay attention on how not to throw a dinner party So as to avoid getting a letter, which is our series from Galatians uh, this week. So let's read it, uh, or this time. So verse 11, but when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. It starts out, that's pretty heavy. We'll get to it. Like, whoa, what? Uh, Because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Lord, we just pray this morning. God, as we dive into your word, into this letter that Paul sent to these these churches so many thousands of years ago, and God, this story that he told about him and Peter in conflict, God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit work with us this morning as we read it so many thousands of years later. Work with us that we might find the timeless truths and apply them appropriately to our own lives, God. That's our goal this morning. Help us. Help us as we dive into your word. We give you praise. For having it, we give you praise for your presence here today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in verse in verse 12, we see that Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Good. You got to eat. You got to eat with somebody, so you might as well eat with the Gentiles. But I got to thinking about this. I got really started to ask some questions of the of the Bible, and I, I think that's okay to do. But I got to thinking, well, what is a Gentile? Is a Gentile some kind of like fancy fork or some kind of like ancient cutlery? He began eating with Gentiles. I know some of you are like, well, Sean, I know what a Gentile is already, but just bear with me for a second. There may be some here who don't know, but so like, he got to eating with, a, with Gentiles. Um, very fancy forks. But context clues will help us to understand what's going on here. In verse 14, we see that, Peter, or that Paul says this to Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So right there, we get a little context clues. All right, my theory about it being ancient cutlery is out. That has been uh, rejected now by the, t- the context that these are somehow people 
um, who are uh, different than the Jewish people. Uh, and then also in verse 9, so we would have read this last week, it says that they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we, Paul and Barnabas, should go to the Gentiles and they, these other Christians, uh, to the circumcised. So we learn there that, oh, Gentiles, okay, so they're a different people altogether. They've got some Gentile uh, attributes. They are not circumcised, which means the Jewish people must be circumcised. Uh, they have, so we assume different cultures, ways of living. Uh, we can see that they would have uh, maybe even a, a different religion on the broader scale of things. Gentiles are not Jewish uh, by religion. But in this passage, they seem to be somehow connected. That, that Peter is eating with them, and Paul thinks that's a good idea. And then some people come in, and they're like, what are you doing eating with these people? And so Peter thinks it's a bad idea. So there's a lot going on here. But the Gentiles from this picture are, are people, they're non-Jewish people, uh, probably Christians. Uh, they wouldn't have been circumcised. They had different food laws. So we'd have to know a little bit more there to say, like, okay, okay. The Jews had very strict food laws, kosher food laws. Uh, and so the Gentiles not practicing such strict laws, they would have eaten differently, different foods and all this, all this stuff to set up our context for what's going on in this thing. And so it must have been some problem to some Jewish people to eat with Gentiles. It has to be a part of what we see here as well in the context is like, well, uh, it apparently is a problem for some people. So Peter eating with these non-Jewish people is a problem. But Paul seems to be setting this up as a good thing. Because he says when Peter stops doing it, that his conduct was no longer in step with the truth of the gospel. And it's because he doesn't, well, Peter, Paul doesn't oppose this behavior. Paul does not oppose Peter eating with Gentiles. Paul opposes Peter stopping the eating with Gentiles. He only opposes that. So why does Peter then stop eating with the Gentiles? It says when certain men from, came from James, Peter drew back. He drew back. He separated himself from the Gentiles, fearing this circumcision party. Well, this led me to a whole bunch of other questions, too. Where did the men... Uh, who were the men from James? It says certain men from James. Did they represent James? Did James send them? I had a bunch of questions there, none of which were answered by the text. Uh, were they the circumcision party? Uh, what is the circumcision party? Uh, I make the, I'm not going to make the same joke I make every single time we read about the circumcision party. Okay, I will, because we got new people here. It's, it sounds like the worst party ever. It's just, just the worst one. So thank you for laughing, those of you who've heard that joke before. Uh, what, what are they doing? Why did, why did them showing up cause Peter to want to separate from the Gentiles? These were the questions. I just, so many questions about this text. And we don't know the relationship of the circumcision party to James, lost to history. The Bible doesn't make it clear. If the Bible doesn't make it clear, then it wasn't important to the Holy Spirit that we should know this. So we move on. We try to see what the other parts are that the Spirit wants us to see. And so these men, they do seem to represent the circumcision party, or at, at least 
they're representatives of a larger party. And this party, as we'll see from the text, they, they are a culturally conservative, religio-political party. This is what they are. Okay, and they are Christians. I think that's what it means. It came from James. They are Christians who came from James, who is in the church, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But the circumcision party wants all Christians to follow the old ways. They want all Christians to follow the traditions of their fathers being Jewish, the way they've always done things. So they really want people, new Christian Gentile believers, to follow Jewish law code, that ancient text called the Torah or the instruction. So that would include circumcision. That's why they're called the circumcision party. It includes circumcision, which is a ritual practice for cutting off the foreskin of the penis. Uh, it represents a spiritual separation from sin and a union with God, Yahweh. But besides circumcision, it would include kosher food laws. It would include ceremonial meals, Sabbath days off, a host of other requirements, including not eating with Gentiles. So we run into this uh, problem here because Gentiles are sinners because they don't do all the Jewish law code things. So we've got an issue. Now I do want to say here as a footnote, because I called them a, uh, get the words exactly as I said them, a culturally conservative religio-political party. There is nothing wrong with being conservative. Let me just say that. I know there are many of us here who would consider ourselves conservatives. But we've got to watch ourselves as conservative people because we can get stuck in the traditions of men and start digging in our heels on things that God wants to progress. He wants to move and change to go forward. We can't just fold our arms and harump about every new thing. Because we know that the Bible tells us, behold, God is doing a new thing. And his spirit is new. His mercies are new every morning. So, again, nothing wrong. It's just as a conservative person, I would need to make sure that what I am conserving is actually what God wants to be conserved. Now, I could flip it around. Uh, if I was a progressive person, I just wouldn't want to progress in every which way with all the winds and changes of time. I would want to be sure that when I am progressing, it is progressing in the ways of God and the, what God wants to do. So, just a little side note, a little footnote there. Back to the text. So when they show up, in verse 13, Peter and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The rest of the Jews then, we have to take the implication that the rest of the Jews were also having dinner with the Gentiles. This, by the way, their church services were meals. They met in homes ate meals, and had church, a lot like what our small groups are on Sunday nights, rather than what we're doing right here. This would have been foreign to an ancient Christian. So they were eating with Gentiles as well. And then Barnabas, he makes special note of Barnabas because of all people, Barnabas had just been commissioned to go with Paul to minister the gospel to the Gentile people by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. They said, you go to the Gentiles with Paul and we'll go to the circumcised Jewish people. And so it raised some questions in my mind. It's like, was eating with them not part of that deal? When they sent Barnabas, did they not assume that he would be eating with Gentiles? That's how they did church. Was it saying, like, 
they're not good enough. Well, they're good enough to hear the gospel, but they're not good enough to eat with. Is that the message they were trying to send? That they're good enough for Jesus, but they're not good enough for us? Because there we run into a huge problem, and therefore the hypocrisy. If we're good enough for Jesus, they too would be good enough for other Christians. Can you imagine for a second how the Gentiles would have felt given this? What I don't know is if the circumcised party walks in like as a collective in their I don't know, robes or something. I just picture them like dressed like Pharisees. Uh, so they walk in and they're like eating and Peter looks over and like, oh no, the circumcision party grabs his lunch tray and like awkwardly shuffles away to a different lunch table. Like in my mind, I just go back to school, just back to middle school type of middle school behavior. Like, oh no, the cool kids are here. I can't be seen eating with these guys. You know, I was, I'm going to go sit with my cool friends. Or that's what actually happens in my mind. It's not clear. It could have been they arrived into whichever city, um, Antioch. They arrived in Antioch. Peter knew they were there and stopped going to eat with his friends who were Gentiles. That could be it as well. And they would notice, like, hey, why would you quit coming and hanging out with us? Why would you quit coming over and eating meals with us? Um, either Both are bad. Uh, it also, I think these Gentiles are Christians. But this is not an outreach by Peter. Rather, they are Christians. The letter doesn't make it perfectly clear, but I think they would have to be to put up with this kind of nonsense from Peter. But still, like, love him despite his um, judgmental, oppressive behavior here. And I, I think maybe you could think of some times where something like this has happened to you. I already mentioned middle school. Um, that seems like the level of behavior that is being conducted by Peter here. Uh, just really, really shallow stuff. Um, maybe you thought someone was your friend until someone cooler, richer, smarter, prettier, etc. comes along the way and you lose that person you thought was your friend to this other group. Or, heaven forbid, you were the person who did that thing to someone else. But we have to think about, well, how much that would hurt in, the, in this case, those Gentile Christians, and how much division something like this would cause in the early church and how that would hinder its move going forward. How would you be able to reach out to people, any other people besides people that look just like themselves, that this was the type of behavior that was allowed to continue in the church early on? How can, how can they demonstrate the open-armed love of Jesus when they can't even eat together with people who aren't like them? It doesn't demonstrate love. And so what does Paul do about it? Well, verse 11, it actually starts with what Paul does about it. I opposed him to his face. Now this is pretty bold on Paul's part. Because this was Peter. Pause for a second. I know it says Cephas is Peter language thing. We'll call it like a middle name. It was Peter, a pillar of the church in Jerusalem, a disciple of Jesus who witnessed Jesus' teachings, his miracles, walked with him for years, was there the night that he was betrayed. This was Peter, literally with Jesus. And it was Paul. Paul, the former Pharisee, the former persecutor of the church, and he was just starting out his ministry. And Paul here stands up to Peter and opposes him 
in front of all of the other people, in front of the Jewish Christians, in front of the Gentiles, in front of the circumcision party. He opposes him to his face. Now I want to pause here for the to his face part. And I think in our, the way we understand that, it would be like to get up into his face and like point, a lot of pointing and like intense leaning and eyebrows and yelling and stuff. Uh, that is what comes to mind for me. The text is not clear that that's what's happening. But it was open, it was public, and it was face to face. Let me just pause for a second and say, conflict should always be solved face to face and heart to heart. So that you can see each other. So that you can hear each other. These guys are in conflict. Anybody been in conflict? Ever? You know, eh, okay. This is a lack of audience participation. Like, anybody ever been in conflict? You've ever, okay, yes, we have been in conflict. Yeah, anybody this week been in conflict? Like, okay, it happens. And when we try to resolve it, it's, under, it's important to understand. He doesn't go behind his back. That's what I think it's getting at here. He opposes him to his face, which means he doesn't go behind his back. Can you believe Peter got up? And he left a table sitting with those Gentiles just because other guys came in for the circumcision party. Can you believe he did that? Other person who is going to agree with me whether they think I'm right or not. He doesn't go behind his back. He goes to his face to deal with this. And I think, you know, rebuke uh, and to correct, but there's, there's love in this as well. It has, to be, it has to be to his face, not behind his back in a gossipy, manipulative sort of way trying to build his own credential, trying to build a team around him so that he gets enough courage to go up and say, hey, man, I think you're wrong here. No, he goes to his face. He also didn't text him or send him an email. Oh, I got to uh, let's resolve this conflict via text. That maybe is a different age group than some of the people in here, but it doesn't work. They don't know what you're, they, don't, they can't hear you, they can't see you, they can't feel what you mean, they don't see your eyes. So you can't resolve conflict via text or email. Well, stop trying. It may be something little like, did you mean this? No, Tuesday at 12. Oh, got it. Different kind of conflict. All right, this is big level stuff. So never resolve a conflict over text message or, uh, or email. Always resolve a conflict face to face. This also needed to be public. A public rebuke. Why? Why not go to Peter privately and say, Peter, look, I think what you did was wrong. Why not? Because he stood condemned because Peter's behavior was public. And, well, I'll say it this way. Peter, even though he had been with Jesus, even though he was, like, all the time, he had very high credentials. His resume for, like, being a Christian was very good resume. But he was still to be blamed because what he did was very wrong. And the, the misbehavior was leading other people astray. This was the problem. This was why it had to be public in this case, because their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And Peter's position was leading other people to believe that what this was was right. Why? Because Peter's resume was really good. And everybody, I guess we can't eat with Gentiles anymore. We have to just abandon them because our other friends are here. And this cannot continue. So Peter's position in this case was to seek acceptance from some other group other than the truth of the gospel. Paul's position was that there is no other standard by which we have to gain acceptance. There's no other worldly standards. Both of them would have agreed. They would have had some common ground in this conflict to say, listen, we want the truth of the gospel to go forward. 
Paul would have said yes. Peter would have said yes to that. But Peter had lost sight of the goal, and Paul needed to remind him of what he was really there to do. Peter's problem was that he feared the wrong thing. He feared, it says, the text, feared, fearing the circumcision party. He feared people's opinions of him. He feared losing his old friends in that party's lifestyle. Acts 10.35 tells us that anyone who, one, fears God, and two, does what is right, is accepted by God. Is acceptable to God. And we can fear the wrong things, too. We don't have a circumcision party per se, but we have other parties, other judgment parties. They set new standards that are opposed to the truth of the gospel. Any standards, any standards that make us draw back and separate from people that we should be loving fits this role of a circumcision party or a judgmental party. Any standard or group or people that make us draw back and separate from people we should be loving fits this role. Anything that causes uh, anxiety and fear preventing us from walking in step with the truth of the gospel fits that role. This could be things from external, external types of uh, peer pressure, we would call it. An external judgment party. Any kind of what would people think, you know. Or what would people think party if they knew I was going to church? If they knew I hung out with that person? Sinners and tax collectors like Jesus did, addicts, atheists, immigrants, outcasts. There are, there are, there are so many people out there that would judge us based on what we do as Christians. And if we let that affect us from the outside and it makes us draw back and separate from people we should be loving, then that fits this role. Any kind of keep up with the Joneses party. So like we got to live by a certain standard. They have a blank. Uh, so I need a blank. You know, so I just fill in whatever blank it is. They have a iPhone. I need an iPhone. They have a boat. I need a boat. They have a, like I'm out of things already. So you can fill in the blank there. I didn't make a big long list. They have a new PlayStation. I need a new PlayStation. They have a big house. I need a big house. The keeping up, this is becomes now, oh, they don't hang out with these people. I better not hang out with these people either. It could come from social or familial expectations to be this or that because that's what people like us do. The outside uh, impact, like, oh, here comes these people. Uh, I thought of uh, like college students, like the pressure to have good grades and stuff because that's what we do. That's the that's how we do things. So like, oh no, the pressure's there. I gotta make sure I do that or don't. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things, like having stuff or you know getting good grades. But when they run contrary to the truth of the gospel, and they make us separate and draw back from the people we're supposed to be loving, then we've got a problem there. This was Peter's problem, that he let these outside influencers make a difference, and he didn't raise the, the red flag, you know, oh, red flag, gospel alert. These, these judgment parties can also be internal. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be such and such. You know, oh, I got to be this. I got to be perfect. How many imperfectionists in the room? 
imperfectionist. This is nodding. They're not raising their hands because they're not sure they're going to raise it perfectly or not. That's kind of the problem. Like, I don't, how high do I raise it? Um, th there's nothing wrong with perfectionism, but when perfectionism becomes your religion, then we've got a problem. It'll go out of step with the truth of the gospel, and then it forces us to separate and draw back from the people that we should be loving. Because, well, it's not perfect. So, all this takes place at a dinner party. So let's just bring this home for a second. If this is at a dinner party, I didn't stray too far from this text. So if I were to write something on the board, like we'd have, you know, walk in step with the truth of the gospel, there's a lot to write, and then eat with people, okay, and eat with people. Here it is. I saw an image on Facebook, um, and if you're the person that posted it, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say, that was me. So no shame in this either. I think it really resonated with a lot of people. I kind of felt it uh, the same way. So now, Al, we can put that up there. I thought the, the image was poignant. Uh, it says, when someone shows up without letting me know they're coming over. And that's a bird. It's a canary. And the guy's freaking out about it. Because it's like, what would make us feel this way? The home is a mess. My hair is undid. I feel that all the time. I'm in my underwear. So pause for a second. There are certain standards that we would want to meet when people do drop by, uh, just drop by unexpectedly. Just tell them, be out in a moment, and then go put your clothes on. Um, obviously, like there are some health standards as well. So, um, but, okay. So you get the picture. There are some certain standards, like yeah, you can't come in like too many roaches or whatever. Like we got to deal with that. Let's help deal with that problem first. You probably shouldn't be in there either. Um, but it's not just unexpected guests. This hit me. I thought this was hilarious. That's why I put it up here. I was totally comfortable with this, too. Uh, also, I have a fear of birds flying in my face as well. So it just works on a lot of levels. But it's not just unexpected guests. We won't invite people over to our uh, house, nor will we host a small group because we don't want them to judge us. I know there's lots of reasons to this, but just bear with me. We don't have the magazine Perfect Home. We're no Joyce Dennis or Angela Mainz that can just put everything together, you know, and do it wonderfully. You already made that point. Neither of them are here, so they'll have to listen on the podcast in a few months uh, when this comes out. But like, oh, I can't do that. I can't entertain. My dishes are plastic. I'm not a good cook. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm not funny. I'm not smart. Uh, and I'll just admit, this is me before and after church services. If I'm greeting you, just understand, like, that is a huge sacrifice for me. I feel like, like I don't know what to say to people ever anyways. So this is all scripted. You're like, but you're such a good speaker. Yeah, just write it out in the privacy of my own home and then read it to you. Because I'm an introvert. Why did it close? Um, so, like, but we deal, we deal with these things. And what do we do about it? We have nothing to wear. You know, there aren't enough seats in the house. Uh, we don't have time to prepare. We come up with a lot of things for why we would why we would let. And these are all, understand, these are all judgment parties, whether they're outside, external ones, like your mom has always told you, and it's just like PTSD. Anytime you have people over, you got to vacuum three times and dust everything. And if it's not perfect, mom is going to come and yell at you, even from the grave, you know. Like, we've got a lot external or internal. we got standards. But it's not just, you know, hosting people at our house. Someone, we can't even go out to eat with people because it's like I've got too much homework or work to do. Um, 
and my particular judgment party looks at my grades. Uh, I live too far away. I'm too busy. My kids are too crazy. I'm an introvert. This is, again, this is me. I just try to list out all my problems uh, for you all to hear, and maybe you fill in your own there as well, like someone invites you out to eat. And this is not, like, I'm not begging for, like, please invite me out to eat. That's not what is happening here. <laughs> like, uh, and we wind up creating in our minds this imaginary circumcision party, this imaginary judgment party in our heads, and it causes us to draw back and separate ourselves from the people we're supposed to be loving. In another letter to the Corinthians, uh, in another letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Like, yikes. He's talking about their church services. Yikes. That's, like, you're better off not going to church because this is bad, guys. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part, uh, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So he addresses this issue with the Corinthian church as well, that there are divisions between the people. In Galatia, the problem is uh, ethnic, religious, cultural, like they are, they are um, Jew Jewish, Jewish Gentiles. So the, the division there is, is racial, ethnic, it's a division. In Corinth, it's economic. It's socioeconomic. You got rich people going first. They eat all the food and get drunk, and then the poor people get off work later, and they show up, and there's no food left. Like, that's the next passages there. And then it gets into the part we read for the Lord's Supper, which is a whole other thing that we'll bring up another day. But the Lord's Supper we do, communion, is a symbol of how we do church. We're probably closer to church, like ancient, original, first century church, when we do our small group, like tonight. That's probably more like, a first century church in a home around a meal reading a letter from a guy you know uh, in the bible so the closer this is new relatively new way to do things but let's focus um so they've got a problem there too so we get all these problems what are we supposed to do about this this is where the gospel part comes in and we're gonna do this quick i know there's a ton of stuff in here 15 through 21 i'm gonna read it i'm gonna hit three points and then give you homework. If you think about it, you can guess what it'll be. For we ourselves, verse 15, chapter 2, Galatians, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith or by allegiance, that word, I like that better, by allegiance to Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I, I live by allegiance to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Good. Got all that? We good? Um, 
No, that's a lot. There's a lot there. So take this home with you. Uh, after your meal this afternoon, you might just sit with that text and just kind of um, read it over a few times. But in verse 16, it says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And we're not dealing in our culture today with works of Old Testament law necessarily. But what it means for us today is we're not justified by how clean our house is. We're not justified by how nice our dinnerware is, whether that's plates or our suit and our clothing. We're not justified by how good our grades are. We're not justified by the quality of food that we can prepare and serve to other people. But we are justified through allegiance to Jesus Christ. What Jesus did is what we do. And what did Jesus do? He ate dinner a lot in the book of Luke. Read Luke real quick. and just, Not right now, but later. And it's like he ate and he ate and he ate and he ate. He ate with this people, he ate with these people. He ate all the time. He ate with everyone. Tax collectors, anti-government radicals. And those two are in opposition. They were both, focus, focus. Uh, Pharisees and prostitutes, fishermen and lawyers. He ate with everyone. Because in our endeavors to be justified in Christ, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That the life I now live in the flesh, I live by allegiance to the Son of God. Understand this. Michael Bates said it this way in a book that is so good. If you want to borrow it, I've got it. Uh, it says, Jesus the King already stands justified. The question of how do we become justified? He stands justified. And so does every person who gives allegiance to Jesus because they are incorporated into his righteousness and they're found to be in him. So if righteousness, verse 21, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that's not it. Righteousness is not through the law or any other worldly standard for that matter. Righteousness is through Christ's death. And those who pledge allegiance to him are incorporated into Christ's righteousness. We just, we're like, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to serve you. Then he's like, okay, I got you then. And his righteousness becomes ours. We are put into his kingdom of righteousness. We cannot therefore be unrighteous. We can still choose to be stupid and do unrighteous things. But we're incorporated into it. Bates says, again, we join the spirit-filled body that is already united to the righteous one, Jesus Christ the King. It's not us that does anything. We don't do it. We just surrender. We just surrender our lives. Jesus paints us a picture of this, this prodigal son returning to the Father in a parable, in a parable called the prodigal son. In Luke 15, 20-23, you can read the whole thing, but understand this part. And he, the prodigal son, arose and came to the father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father. But the father. It's like he doesn't even listen to him because he already repented. He already come back. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father's like, hang on one second, kid. And he said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat. And let us eat 
and celebrate. So today, it's not even like a big fancy altar call because this is practical stuff. Last week was defend the gospel and remember the poor. That, that was defend the gospel and remember the poor. This week, walk in step with the gospel and let us eat together. I thought there'd be a bigger amen for that. It's like, is he serious? Is this it? Does it eat together? Yeah, it's a simple, simple lesson. It took us a while to get there, but let us eat together. We got Birdman still up here. You know how we fix this, right? You know how we fix this. When someone shows up, wait, put it back up there. Ow, I need it. I'm making a point on it. Yeah, put it. How do we fix it? Oh, you fix it by taking it away. No, the opposite. Yeah, conversion therapy or something psychological where you just start doing it to people until they get used to it and their laundry is never on their couch again. But think about it. That's how we fix this. We drop in on people unannounced until they get used to it. So this is the challenge today. Like, it is really, like, this is not the most spiritual, like, supernatural. You may not be feeling the, the, the warm fuzzies and goosebumps on this. You may be feeling a sense of dread of like, oh no, when is Sean going to start dropping in on my house? Uh, soccer will be over in about three weeks. So clean the laundry off your dinner table. And yeah, so that was my, my dad would fold laundry on the dinner table. It was never there long, but clean the laundry off your dinner table. It's time to throw a party. We've got to. It's the thing that we do. So here's your homework assignment. This is the big altar call, but it's not a come forward altar call. It's this. Schedule a meal. Schedule a meal with somebody. It may be a family. Maybe your family doesn't eat together ever or that often around a table. Start there. Start there. If you got a family but you don't sit down together, start there once a week. Twice a week. We try to do it every night. And sometimes it's crazy. It's like 9.30. We're eating dinner. And here's this falling asleep in the spaghetti. But some, we, like, we're going to do it. Schedule a meal. You could start off easy with church people. Actually, we've got dinners scheduled tonight. There'll be food at all the small groups so you can join. When we get so big that we can't fit in these houses, we'll just break off and start more small group house churches. Uh, and we'll talk about it. And start with church people. Again, I'm not seeking invitations. So I'm off limits. Do not invite me to lunch. That's cheating anyways. And I don't know what you want, but you're not getting it. Um, invite each other over. There's people in here that you know you just haven't caught up with in a while. Invite them. You don't have to bring them to your house. You can take them out to eat. If you can't afford to pay for somebody else's meal, just say, would you like to come eat with me and pay for yourself? Just be upfront about it. So there's no awkward confusion about like, you know, I got the check, you know, alligator arms thing. Um, you can build from there, but the church is a family and a community. We're just the weirdest family ever. We rarely eat together. So once a month, we've got our thing here. Come to those. You know, we've got our, our celebration dinners. Uh, we've got small groups. We can do those. Um, friends outside the church or geographic neighbors, you can invite them over. This is the challenge. I think it's really the challenge. Paul wants Peter to eat with the Gentiles, the outsiders, the people who are different from him. And work your way up to somebody who, you know, you don't get along with very well. Like, maybe meet at a neutral location so that you can leave if you need to. But invite people over and have a meal together and connect with people on a one-on-one -on -one or in a group. Bring their kids over. 
Stick them in the basement after you remove the TVs and treadmills. Um, and some of you need to accept the invitation. You need to accept the invitation. If you're like me, I sometimes I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Uh, being an introvert, not there a lot. Sometimes I just want to go home. But we need to accept the invitation. There's a humbling part to this as well. That we say, oh, no, 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 that's okay. Or I don't have time. You know, I'm not too busy. Don't make excuses. Find a time if you're invited and accept the invitation. So this is, this is practical today. A practical walk with Jesus who loved to eat with people and connect with people. Because I think a lot of times we just isolate ourselves. We do our, you know, our devotions. We come to church on Sundays, and then we're off, and we just forget God. You know, we start living our lives. We never make a point to bring God into sort of the mundane, the normal things in life. So this may not be the most spiritual. This may not be the day where you feel like, oh, my life has been changed. But sometimes our walk with God takes time. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes uh, effort. And uh, there's no standards. Don't look at a magazine. Don't think, oh, what should I prepare? You be simple. I'm just, everything is so simple. We just want to love people. We just want to love people. How can we love people? A neighbor, someone who's alone, hurting. Uh, those are separate things. You can be alone and not hurting. That's cool. Um, but just invite somebody over. So some of you can do that before you leave today. You might invite somebody to go to lunch with you today that you haven't done before, and you can just catch up. Um, I don't know, I'm just putting it right all out there. This is like the altar call. Is invite somebody. You might need to text somebody right now. Hey, you got time for coffee? doesn't have to be huge. You got time for dinner? You know, you want to go out to Maxwell's or something and get some food uh, sometime? Did you want to come over and watch the game? Whatever game, whatever sport, it doesn't matter. Something to have on. But find some time to connect with people and watch what God can do in people's lives. This is it. It's simple. It's simple. Let's not overcomplicate our walk with Jesus. And don't. Don't be a Peter. You don't separate. You draw back from people you're supposed to be loving. We want to do the opposite. We want to draw people towards us or draw ourselves towards them. And we want to connect instead of separate. And we want to draw people in. Let's pray.